Welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram Podcast with your host, Certified Enneagram Coach Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. So today we start the series about instincts. Um, instincts are super important and something that I know when I first got into the Enneagram, I had no clue about. And it has taken me a while to really understand them. But once you start to understand them, you'll see just how automatically they perform in your life. And the fact that instincts actually come before the overlay of our typology of our numbers. So the instincts are actually first. So intro music, let's go. super excited to announce my new partnership with BetterHelp. This episode is actually sponsored by BetterHelp. If you are struggling, BetterHelp can help. You'll receive 10% off your first month when you sign on using trybetterhelp.com forward slash do it. So I'm super excited uh, about this partnership that me and BetterHelp have um, entered into because in this point where everything that we're doing right now to connect with people is more virtual, it is so important mental health. I think that aligns perfectly with Things that we're trying to do, things that I want to do, and um, anybody that I would refer or think that could be potentially beneficial to the audience. And I think BetterHelp is definitely one of them. BetterHelp is basically, it's online counseling or therapy. So you're able to actually get some counseling or therapy uh, depending on what's going on from licensed counselors and therapists around the country. And um, you get to be able to get some of that one-on-one mental checkup that you may need and BetterHelp is able to help you. So just go to trybetterhelp.com forward slash do it and you'll get a 10% discount for your first month. What are instincts? So instincts are the animalistic part of us. It is that evolutionary nature within us, survival, groups, procreation, intimacy with someone. Instincts are the first to react. Uh, instincts that do not negotiate and they're stored in our gut. And so the Enneagram teaches there are three of them. There's self-preservation, there's a social one, and there's also one-to-one or sexual or transmitting. So they have multiple names and transmitting sounds a little weird, but it's one of them as well that Mario Socorro has named that for a lot of different reasons. So the question is, why are instincts important? So instincts are important to recognize first and foremost, because they are operating your life and you may not even know it. And so it's also not only do we need to like become aware of how our instincts are ruling our lives, especially our dominant instinct, because with instincts, you have a stack. And so you have, you may have a self-preservation at the top, a sexual one-to-one in the middle, And at the bottom, you may have a social, but there's three different instincts. And so the way that they kind of work together depends on what's your dominant one, what's your repressed one as well. So it gives a little different flair to each Enneagram number. But before we ever get to the number, we have to actually work with these instincts because they are very automatic in our lives. So 
On this episode, we are talking about the self-preservation instinct. And so the self-preservation instinct, uh, here's something that uh, the Enneagram Institute wrote, which I think hits the nail on the head because there's a lot of information. Well, actually, there's not a lot of information out there about instincts, I don't think. Um, there's way more about subtypes and everything. Mario Sakara, I think I'm saying his name right, may be the only one who's done deep work inside of instincts. And he actually does a typology through instincts, then through Enneagram types and through subtypes. Um, I don't know if necessarily I agree with everything he has created and broke down, but nor have I dove into it deeply either. So, but uh, it's very interesting. The Enneagram Institute says this about the self-preservation instinct, and then we'll get to more about what it is. So the focus here is easy to understand from the name. People of the instinctual type are preoccupied with basic survival needs as they translate into contemporary society. Thus, self-preservation types are concerned with money, food, housing, health, physical safety, and comfort. Being safe and physically comfortable are priorities to self-preservation types. These people are quick to notice any problems in a room such as a poor lighting, uncomfortable chairs, or to be dissatisfied with the room temperature. They often have issues connected with food and drink, either overdoing it or having strict dietary requirements. That is one of the best paragraphs I've ever seen describe self-preservation. I am the dominant self-preservation uh, type seven. And so it's so true. I do not do uncomfortable chairs, like even chairs that look or booths. Like if I go to a restaurant and it feels funny or looks funny or it looks, it looks nasty to me. Like, it's not even like dirty necessarily. Like, but to me, it just looks like it could be dirty. I don't mess with it. I'll sit somewhere else. I'll grab another chair from a whole different table. Uh, a lot of different things. My friends, they kind of laugh at it. But um, that is something that is so true. Those small little details about comfort. In the healthy to average levels of the three instinctual types, they are the most practical. Self-preservations are the most practical at all of the three different types. In the sense of taking care of basic life necessities, paying bills, maintaining the home and workplace, acquiring useful skills, and so forth. When these types deteriorate, they tend to distort the instinct to the degree that they are poor at taking care of themselves. Unhealthy self-preservation types eat and sleep poorly or become obsessed with health issues. They often have difficulty handling money and may act out of deliberately self-destructive ways. In a nutshell, self-preservation types are focused on enhancing their personal security and physical comfort. So I definitely can identify with that, especially at the, you talk about being like the unhealthy levels, um, especially being like worried about health and all those different things. It's crazy. If anything goes halfway wrong, I'm like, oh my goodness, what's happening? If you've ever seen Parks and Rec, there's an episode where, and this is a weird time to talk about this because of COVID or whatever, but on Parks and Rec episode, it is when Chris Traeger joins, I believe this is season, either end of season two or beginning of season three, when Chris Traeger actually catches the flu. And he is freaking out, though he's super duper healthy. He's like, I'm a microchip. And any little grain of sand can throw my whole system off. And so he freaks out. Very hilarious episode. You should definitely go watch it. But it is how a self-preservation type can freak out about the smallest thing. It can go from thinking that that small thing could just wipe them out. And the instinct is definitely also important before we get into subtypes because 
If you don't understand the instinct and how it reacts with your passion, then it's going to be really hard for you to really realize what's going on because you may be trying to attack the passion or the subtype without understanding the instinct. And the instinct is the one that's operating automatically before you even get to your passion and your subtype. So that is why we're here making sure that we address the instinct because we've already talked about the passion in the former episodes. If you haven't caught those, make sure you go back for your number and catch um, the passion of what your number is and kind of listen to what it's about so that you understand how this works in conjunction with your instinct. So your instinct times your passion equals your subtype. And so we're not a subtype yet, but we are an instinct. So we're going to keep talking about that. Self-preservation types. One thing I would say in my personal belief is I think the self-preservation is higher in communities of color in America and societies who are marginalized uh, because there is a threat or a need for survival. And so I think that is a natural instinct that can overwhelm or take over a person in different in difficult situations as well. So I think that is something that, I mean, I can't say for certain that that's a fact, but I definitely feel like it based off of historical things I've seen, our history, um, and a lot of things going on with our country. I definitely think people of color in America, for, for instance, in other marginalized communities who have been hurt by the history of their people in their country or around them definitely probably have a, a higher or dominant in self-preservation, um, for sure, as an instinct, because it's to protect yourself and to live. And so here are some more things just about self-preservation instincts. So self-preservation types may forego glamour or social connection for physical comfort, uh, security, or planning for the future and the survival of their family unit and themselves. And so sometimes you can tell the extent of someone's self-preservation based on their anxiety. One thing that's very interesting about each Enneagram type, those who lead and who are dominant with self-preservation, each of those types usually tend to have a little more anxiety than the other two uh, subtypes in their number. So for instance, self-preservation sevens tend to have a little bit more anxiety than a social or a one-to-one sexual seven. Along with that anxiety, um, they usually actually have more fear, uh, more fear-based because it's based on survival. So there's this thing here where you have anxiety and fear and you always kind of feel like in certain situations when self-preservation is triggered that you are not necessarily completely safe. And that's an instinct. Remember, that's not necessarily cognizant to the mind, but the body is somehow contracted. And a lot of times that's right below the solar plexus contracted and is in preparation as if something is going to pop off or happen and you have to be ready. And so a lot of times that is what's going on with the self-preservation instinct. It is in like flight or fight mode and it is ready to go when needed to go. And so you have to be aware of that. Self-preservation types tend to be more, which is also very interesting. Naturally, they tend to be more reserved in presentation and tend to appear more contained, quiet, and conservative energetically. So if you pay attention to self-preservation types of each number, they're going to look a little bit more self-contained. And you might be saying, how are they self-contained if they have anxiety and fear? It's because self-preservation types usually make themselves smaller. The way that they sit, the way they hold themselves, they carry themselves. A lot of times they can make themselves a little bit smaller in the way that they frame their body compared to the other types in their types. 
And so it's going to be uh, interesting to watch that because it's like I'm keeping to myself, protecting myself, making sure I got everything that I need within my sphere. And so it's con- more conservative energetically. So that actually makes them more practical than the other types tend to be. For instance, especially the self-preservation sevens, because they're looking for the resources they need specifically in order to make sure that their survival, comfort, security is all intact. And so they're looking for real life resources and opportunities to make sure these things are happening. They also tend to have a more of a matter of fact of way of speaking. Uh, they leave excess conversational fluff out of the equation. I've always kind of wondered that as a seven because they say like sevens tell really good stories and they're funny. And I can tell a story, but I do not think I tell a story as half as good as other sevens I know. And I think a big part of that is the fact that I am more self, I am a dominant self-prez seven. So my first thought is like, man, I'm telling all that fluff. I'm like getting to the point and I'm like, oh, but I miss all the parts that made it so great and funny, I guess. But at the same time, being, leaving out the excess, these self-preservation types can seem um, to social or one-to-one, sometimes it's cold, removed, or aloof, even if they're extroverted, because they like kind of get to the point and they keep moving on. And it's like, oh, that's it. Yep, that's it. Boom. And so um, they also can be quite cheap or frugal. And this is because uh, they tend to want resources to be used properly and maintained to ensure survival of themselves within their sphere, including food as well. Does your workplace stink because the culture sucks? Are you tired of tolerating people and wish you could all work together cohesively? Does going to work give you instant anxiety? If you say yes to any one of these, you should probably quit your job. But since you aren't going to quit your job, you should call Kaizen Careers. At Kaizen Careers, we are all about improving personal and workplace performance. We use a unique tool called the Enneagram. The Enneagram helps individuals and organizations become more self-aware. That self-awareness lends into helping organizations with communication, leadership, and conflict management, ultimately turning self-awareness into self-mastery and creating healthy workplace performance so you can improve your services and bottom line. You can reach Kaizen Careers at kaizencareers.com or 901-334-1644. And so a few facts about self-preservation types. They're usually more private, usually have a little bit bigger boundaries than the other subtypes in their numbers. For instance, especially like the five, uh, a five who is a self-praised dominant, it's called like the castle. And they are super, like when you talk about like the stereotypical five, self-preservation is super five. So the five already has thick boundaries and has its own um, privacy and, and like secrecy about themselves. But add on top of that, the self-preservation, oh my goodness, super thick boundaries, super thick. And because of self-preservation, they're less trusting. They want to make sure that they have what they need. So, you know, you can't always trust everybody. So self-preservation says, hmm, you don't need to know everything because I need to make sure that I'm okay and that this information or whatever I'm not telling you, make sure that I am safe in whatever way that I feel I need to be or secure in whatever way I feel I need to be. So even for types such as the two, they are less trusting. The self-preservation two is less trusting and also a little less outgoing than the normal two. They don't show up the same way that other two show up um, in our social situations. Here are some of the things that 
Um, self-preservation types can be preoccupied with, um, but it's not limited to health, weight, food, money, insurance, comfort, decor, disease, death, strength, vitality, nutrition, safety, and security of the environment in their like close family genealogy. So the self-preservation type, it has the instinct has a perceived threat to the body such that it feels that there is some type of external threat and that things in the area cannot be relied on. And so that is what that instinct makes each one of us pay attention to, especially the dominant. You're always attuned to what if something runs out? What if I don't have enough of this? What if I'm not able to get this? And so that lends in the other way too with this whole COVID stuff. I can't even tell you my passion with my instinct of self-preservation. I mean, like I am overly prepared, for instance. I am overly prepared for things. Try to make sure, obviously, I'm not like, you know, overusing resources or hoarding resources from people who need them, things like that. But the instinct naturally would drive me crazy to think that I might run out of something that I need. Food being one thing. Like, it's always like, oh, got to have enough food, got to have enough food. Logically, I understand that I actually have plenty of food compared to so many people, not only in our country, but obviously in the world. But that instinct inside of me says, you're going to run through that food. You need to make sure you have more and get more. You need to make sure you have this item, that item. And what about if this happens and that happens? All about this survival and this fear of not having enough. And so it makes me like really go to the verge of like, oh my goodness, I'm on my computer searching, trying to buy all this different stuff and like preparing for the future. Just what in case, what in case. And so that self-preservation instinct is triggered by this whole COVID thing for sure. So like that whole thing would drive me half crazy. And I really have to work on um, not only being aware of it, like I talked about before, but also being able to manage it, which we'll talk about a little bit later. One of the things that a lot of self-preservation types do have is they usually have things they carry with them. For me, for instance, it's my backpack. I carry it everywhere. I'm like Diego, Dory Explorer's friend. You know, something's always in my backpack. I got everything I need with me in my backpack. What's so interesting about it is that I come to find out most self-preservation like types have something that they carry that has all the things they need in it with them. For instance, one example is that most self-preservation um, people carry like a bag of pens or pencils with them. Like it's, it's just something they always have or markers or something. It's just something that seems like they're always prepared and always ready for it. And it looks different for every type, obviously, with the self-preservation. But it's always like this over-preparation or a preparation of what may come, what could happen, just in case I have the resources I need to make sure that I am okay or my close family unit is okay because they want to make sure they can maintain their sense of well-being. And so a really good example of how the instinct works, and like I'm trying to get you to understand, it's animalistic. It is aggressive. The instinct is so aggressive. It's not like, oh, I got triggered on. I think I want something personal. No, 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 no. This thing is like, Oof. it's like fiery. It's like, oh my goodness. It's like an animal, like for real. And so one of the examples that worked really well, and a lot of this information I got from um, Uranio and um, Beatrice Chestnut, amazing people, by the way. A lot of this information I got from them. And so one of the things that Uranio did in one of the trainings I went to is that he asked, like, who was a self-preservation, like, dominant person? And this lady raised her hand. Uh, shout out to Debbie. She's a beast. Awesome person. And 
he went up and he took her water bottle, and he took her pad and her pen and walked to the front of the class, just took it. Not like lightly grabbed it or asked for it, he just took it. Immediately, like when he took it, he turned around and said, how do you feel? And I'm not going to repeat directly what she said, because then I would have to put explicit on this episode. But she was like, give my stuff back. And he looked uh, and he said, how do other people in the room who are self-praise dominant feel? And I was like, oh my goodness, I was I was mad. That wasn't even my stuff. This guy is here teaching us. I know he's not there to harm us. But my instinct inside said, man, you better give our stuff back. That's all I know. Like, it was crazy how quick it reacted. And so that's the thing about the resources and having, make sure you have what you need to feel like you have a good well-being or the resources you need. It's an instinct. When someone does something against it and you're triggered, it is an automatic response if you don't learn to be aware of it and learn to manage it. And so when you see some people do some crazy things sometimes, a lot of times the brain, it didn't even get to the brain. It was straight instinct because instinct happens before anything. Your gut reaction, especially when triggered and you're not managing it or it's just really quickly triggered, it is automatic. The nervous system automatic, way before your brain emotions get a chance to even get involved, automatically your gut is already telling you to do something. It's, it's giving you messages. It's giving you information. And so that's what I want you to understand. That is huge. For someone to take your stuff like that, it makes a self-pressed instinct person crazy for a second. They really have to breathe and process through what's happening, even in a good situation. So, and remember, the instinct in the gut, all of that, all our instincts and in, in energy comes from that area, the gut. And so the gut center is all about doing. It's a doing center. And so it's ready to react. It's ready to do something. So for the self-preservation, it's ready for survival. It's ready for protection. It's ready for comfort. It's ready for food. It's ready for all these different things that means that my well-being is intact and I'm good. Mine and me and mine are good. And so another example is one personally to me is that at the same conference I was at, there was food and my self-preservation because I love food. I like to be filled and it's California and people aren't as big on like, ladies go first, which I have no problem with that, by the way, but I also believe in equal rights, as people say. So it's like, hey, you know, if I want to go in the front of the line and nobody, you know, minds, ladies, it's good. I can go in the front. No one has a problem. And so they were totally fine with me going to the front of the line. I mean, getting in line first. Trust me, I didn't jump, skip people. I just like sprinted up there before anybody else could get up there because I was really hungry. So, I, you know, I got my plate. I'm filling up my plate. Beautiful salmon and all these different things. Crazy good food, right? Potatoes, all this kind of stuff. And so I go and eat outside. I finish eating and I'm just having a great time. I'm in a whole other zone. Blissful, to be honest, because I've been like deeply humbled and moved by the stuff we're doing. So... I come back and I'm finished with my food before everybody else, obviously, most likely. And there's more food still left, which is great. I love that, right? And so you also have to remember my self-preservation and my passion, aka gluttony, are, are intertangled when it gets a little, when I get real triggered, a little crazy. So there's a little bit of combination of both getting crazy there. So I'm over there looking at the food. I'm like, hmm. So I got like one more plate, like a very small plate. And I let other people come back and get theirs. But then there was still more left. And so instantly, my instinct jumped in and said, you're going to be hungry after this because we have a long day after this. So you might need to get more food just to be prepared, just in case you get hungry. Oh, my goodness. What are you going to do? And so I'm looking at potatoes and still got some salmon left. So I'm like, OK, I'm, I can't have like a plate out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a cup, one of these coffee cups. I'm going to put these potatoes in it and I'm going to cover it and put it under my seat. 
And then that way I have some potatoes throughout the last part of the day so that I'm not hungry. But then I kept thinking about it. I was like, but see, I see that salmon there and the salmon was really good. Oh my goodness. And then I looked at it. I said, hmm, I looked at the salmon. I looked at the cup. Look at the salmon. I looked at the cup. I said, hmm, I could get another cup and put some salmon in there and eat that too. Because I don't want them to throw away food. It wouldn't make any sense. Why would we waste food? Like, you know, people are starving out here and we can have this food. Let me make sure. And so at that moment, we had did some different exercises and stuff to work on our um, instincts. I had to really take a deep breath and start to walk backwards because I was like, Milton, you are not going to put fish in a coffee cup, cover it up, sit it under your seat, and then try to eat it for the next couple of four or five hours and think that people are not going to be like, what's that smell? And like wonder what's going on. So I had to really take a step back. But in that moment, my instinct in my gut was telling me, that it was completely right. It was the right thing to do to go grab that salmon, go throw it in that cup, close it up, put it under my seat along with them potatoes to make sure I got some food. And it's as if I wasn't going to eat after we left. It was if I didn't have snacks already. It was if I didn't have money already. But the instinct of self-preservation was driving me so hard to be like, you should do it. You should do it. It's the only right thing to do. You should do it. And so understanding that the self-preservation instinct or our instincts are super strong, super automatic, and that we really have to work on them is super important, by the way. Hi, I'm super excited to tell you about a partnership I just joined in on. As an Enneagram coach, I understand the Enneagram helps in all different aspects of a person's life. A part of that journey can only be helped sometimes by someone outside of themselves, someone in the profession of counseling or therapy. So that's why I partnered with BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp is basically a virtual way to contact and be in connection with counselors and therapists around the country. And at this time that we're going through socially being distant and a lot of being trapped in our houses or different things, even though it can be wonderful, a lot of times we may need to express something that's going on or things may be arising inside that we don't understand how to deal with. And so BetterHelp is a wonderful, affordable way to receive therapy and counseling in your home virtually. So if you are struggling, BetterHelp can help. You'll receive 10% off your first month when you sign on using trybetterhelp.com forward slash do it. That's D-O-I-T. So this information will be in the show notes, but this is a way if you do need some help, mental help and working through things and emotional things, BetterHelp can definitely help. So some of the ambition of the self-preservation one is they want to be safe and secure in their environment at home and at work. It's just the truth. And if they're not, then they have this underlying anxiety that exists within them um, a lot of times. And so, as we said before, if you're trying to think about what's your dominant. So for self-prayers, some of the main concerns are physical safety, comfort, health, security, environment. Some of the stresses can be money, food and nutrition. Some of the coping mechanisms that ends up with self-prayers types is overbuying, overeating, oversleeping and overindulging in different things. Along with that comes a lot of times material security, what they feel to be materialistic security, practical knowledge, things that are very practical that um, can help you to have a structure, to be stronger, understand and be grounded and have a foundation for life, physical life, by the way, even finances. And, and so here's another story that may help you if you're trying to figure out social or self-preservation being your dominant one, because sometimes those two you can kind of figure out. 
wonder which one is yours. One of the things I would definitely say, there's a story by a wonderful lady named Tracy. She lives in the great state of California. But she told this story and we were able to see through and through that it was actually social. So she said she was invited to a Thanksgiving dinner um, with some friends and their family members and all this cool stuff. Now, this dinner, the people who were making the food may or may not have been the best cooks. And at the same time, Tracy at this time wasn't eating like meat like that. I think she was the only eating fish. And so originally she thought she was self-pressed because she said, oh, I wasn't going to eat that food. So I told them I'm going to bring fish. I'm going to bring some salmon. And so she was telling the story. She was like, yeah, and I cooked salmon and then I cooked, I baked a cake and then I brought something else. And then we were like, hmm, that's interesting. I understand you were bringing what you wanted to eat, which sounds very self-pressed, like something I would definitely do. But here's the difference. Tracy cooked enough fish for everyone there. She brought enough cake for everyone there. Self-preservation, instinct alone, is going to be like, mm, I'm going to eat mine. I bring my own meal and y'all can eat what y'all want, everything else that's there. But I'm just going to I can either, either bring my own meal here and eat it with y'all or I'm going to eat before I get here my own meal and then I'm going to join y'all and not eat the food that's here. So that was a difference because when she said she made literally enough pieces of salmon for this huge party and these all these different pies or cakes, I said, see, that's social. You're looking at the whole dynamic of everyone there. Still want to get yours, but you're making sure that everyone there is taken care of. Self-preservation is like, mm-mm, no, they're not that close. I'm going to make sure I get mine and then I'm good. Or oh, I'm going to get mine. Let me say that. That's just something that you can differentiate if you're thinking about different stories in your life and things that have happened, trying to figure out what's your dominant one. So how do you manage this? This is one of the important things because I've talked about a lot of different things and bounced around a lot of this subject. Part of managing is first, you've got to start to watch it and notice it. Once you realize which one is your dominant then it's time to watch it because it is operating like crazy, absolutely crazy, operating automatically. And you don't even notice it a lot of time. And so once you start to realize when it's happening in your body, because there's physical sensations going on in your body when the instinct happens, and it's not necessarily just in the gut, it's different parts of our body that tenses up. And you've got to pay attention to it. You've got to slow down, breathe and find out, whoa, I'm real tense right here. It's happening. Why am I? Why am I feeling this way? Why, why am I, you know, physically having sensations in my body that are not tight or constraining in this situation because my instinct has somehow been triggered by something. So watching it first. Second thing, which is really not the second thing, but it's going to be the first thing you do after you notice it, <laughs> is you have to breathe. You've got to take back control of your body and your decision making. And so you've got to take deep breaths, deep belly breaths, especially when it's instinct. Take those deep belly breaths, deep down in the belly, and really start to slow your breathing down to make sure you're back in control of self so that you can make the best choice going forward. And then after that, make sure you question this instinct. Because like I told the story of my instinct of wanting to put the fish in a cup, you know, under my seat, crazy enough, everything inside of me said it was the right thing to do. Everything like there was no instance of, well, Milton, let's think about the opposite thing. Let's think about this. Think about that. What about that? What about that? Before I took some deep breaths and actually started to really process what was going on and start to walk backwards, I literally like I was foregone thought that it was 100 percent right what I was doing. Like 
there, there was no, not even like a right or wrong type of thinking, but there was no thinking outside of that one way. Like this is the only way that it could ever be right, that things can ever do this. Like it was the only thing, no questioning, no examining, none of it. It was like everything I thought was right and I felt was right. That was the crazy part. I felt it in my body that like, yes, this is right. And I was convincing my brain that it was right. My instinct was like, yeah, yeah, this is right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Question yourself. When you start to realize and take those deep breaths, start to question that instinct. Like, whoa, what's going on here? Something's going on where I am. I feel fearful or I feel anxiety, especially for self-praise that I need to breathe and I need to figure out why is this? Why am I feeling this fear right here at this moment? And what is really going on? And do I have what I actually need to make sure I can take care of myself in this situation and those around me? And, and or am I just, my instinct is just triggered by something? Because a lot of times it's triggered, then you run into doing something that you didn't necessarily have to do or didn't make sense. Let me just say, I've invested in myself a lot in the past, bad decisions based off the instinct of self-preservation. And it was wasted money, unfortunately. It was to quote unquote invest in myself, but it was wasted money because my instinct of self-preservation was like, oh my goodness, to survive and to make sure you're comfortable and do things in the future, you got to be able to do this. So go ahead and spend that money. And it's crazy because it was a waste of money. But at the time, I didn't know my instinct was operating. If I had a, if I had just an inkling of understanding that, man, this is why I feel this way, I could have made some much better decisions going forward. So I really want you to pay attention to it because it can really help you make better decisions going forward and to address situations better in your life. So that's all I have for this episode. I know I bounced around a little bit. It's just so much that I kind of want to share about it. Oh, one thing I did forget um, with the self-preservation instinct, this comes from Uranio and Beatrice for sure. One thing that they talk about is that with the self-preservation type, there's usually issue with the mother figure, which is interesting. I'm not 100% sold on that, but the way that they mentioned it, it wasn't like there's a discrepancy or like a problem, which there could be a problem, but there's also maybe like a connection that's super deep, that's deeper than the social, which is a father issue, and then the one-to-one, which is like a family unit issue, um, who have dominant in those. So it's really interesting how those all work. I'm still working on studying those, but that is something to also wonder and ponder on and be aware of too. Besides that, that's all I have for this episode. If you are looking to figure out your subtype stack, that would help you to figure out what instincts your dominant instinct. I am doing right now, especially since this whole quarantine, isolation, social distance thing, it's a little crazy going on. I'm doing um, Enneagram like subtype interviews and typing interviews to help people understand and find those specific patterns in their lives. And I'm doing it at a discount. And the discount is, it's a $30 discount from what I usually charge for Enneagram typing interviews. And so if you contact me on Instagram or email me at Milton at KaizenCareers.com, which will be in the show notes as well, you can contact me if you want to do a typing interview and a subtype interview so you can figure out which uh, instinct is um, running rampant in your life that you may not have known of just to help you to be able to grow better, be able to know yourself better and actually do some deep personal growth work. Um, also, if your self-preservation instinct is about to overrule you and it's about to make you do something totally out of personal survival and it's not a personal survival issue or moment in your life, take a deep breath, breathe, 
and make a better choice and do it for the gram. The Enneagram, of course. We'll see you next time. Bye.